0: Related to that, I have this notion I get two of us all the time of like, a cost down is only a cost down if we're not like scrapping all the inventory and changing to it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right.
1: Welcome to the Open Hardware Manufacturing Podcast, the podcast about making open source hardware. My name is Stephen Haas. And I'm Lucian Chapar. This episode is all about hardware release, so taking the source of the thing that we've made, bundling it up, and getting it ready to actually be an official GitHub release and also start putting it out onto the line. There is so much stuff that goes into doing this. We talk about scope creep and like little features or bug fixes kind of weaseling their way into a certain release. How do we manage updating print farm software, OHI, open hardware assembly instructions for you know, folks actually making the stuff? How is it going to affect us internally and externally? What are all the actual tasks that we have to do to make it work? What changes that we make in a release are going to affect existing users and customers for interoperability and upgradability? And also making sure that we are incredibly thorough with our testing and making sure that what we put out the door and what is bundled up in that release is valid within that
0: release. We talk a lot about our tool chain too, and like what do we use in terms of CI on the GitHub side. We talk about the internal tools that help us manage like our bombs and our purchasing behaviors. We talk about how we survived the bus test here for Steven and I. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We also talk about the pacing of a release. I think that's a big thing that we touch on here. Like, how do we do it? When do we decide to have the bus leave the station versus when do we wait and sit on it?
1: Yep. Cool. All right. Let's pop into it. So the first thing about making a release is like, when do we actually decide to make one? Like what ultimately results in you and I sitting down and being like, it's time for a release. Like we we should, (laughs) we should do a new release of a version of our hardware. And there's kind of like two buckets of things that can go into why we will make one. And this also happens to be the two classes of GitHub issues that we have in our repos. And they're like a bug fix versus an enhancement. And that's, those are kind of like the two things that will go into it and they can either come from us or the community. Sometimes we'll find like a little bug fix that like maybe no one has said anything about, but we're like, eh, it could still be better this way. And we'll still make that improvement. And of course there will still be bug fixes that like the community will respond to as well. Right. And there's
0: different amounts of like urgency to each of these two things.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and also sometimes bug fix can mean a manufacturing bug fix. Like if a place for us inserting a nut, a press fit nut is a little too loose or it's a little too tight and it's really hard to get it in there and it's just going to make it easier for us manufacturing it, that's only ever going to come internally.
0: Yeah, for those internal changes, there can be less urgency, there can be less uh, care. Sometimes there's even a release that's private where it just a cable length is changed by five millimeters <laughs> yeah, to help with assembly <laughs> or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or most of the time it's like print settings, you know, it's like, it's something that is, it doesn't really affect source because technically that's a source thing, but yeah, it's something small where it's like, it's just helping us grease the wheels to make things a little bit easier. And then enhancements do the same thing. Enhancements also can be community driven or us driven and also could be for us or the customer or, or in builders. Like Blades is a great example. Yeah. We're working on doing a release right now, switching over to not having individual slots for the front and back rail that the feeders talk to, but a big, chonky boy that has like 12 or 13 slots in it that we're calling blades. That is not improving things for the customer at all. It's just making it easier for us to make it.
0: Yeah, it makes us say we have to solder, I think, 42 less 2 by 3 IDC connectors per (laughs) lumen. And we've tried dip before. It's miserable. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we kind of moved away from that. And also for that's 258 pins that we solder fewer for each lumen. 258 pins. Like it's dreadful. Yeah. That's a huge improvement for us. So if there is an external or internal bug fix we want to make or external or internal in terms of the source of where it's coming from enhancement we want to make, we usually add it to a list of like, what's the next release we're making?
0: Sometimes for me, it'll take the form of taking a lot of feedback from the production line. Mm mm-hmm. Like when Bryce is building the lumen, so like this part could be tighter, this part too loose. Yeah. And I'll make the change and I'll push it to our CAD staging branch on GitHub. And when I see that, like, okay, there's (laughs) like four different changes here. Yeah. And I'd like them all to hit at the same time then it's a great candidate for a release there too. Right. So when I have enough substance to share with the public and start selling as a new version, right. then I deem it important and worthwhile.
1: Sure. Because if you change one print to have a slightly different tolerance, it's like, okay, the amount of effort that it takes to make a new release and then to push it up and blah, 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 blah. And this is something I think we'd like to make easier in the future is making releases more automated and stuff. But you know, it's still a lot of work. Yeah. Like for each release takes X amount of stuff, which we'll get into later of like what actually goes into it. But if we can minimize that, that's great. So it's good to bundle them. You know, we, can, we can't release it like software where it's like get push origin main and then it's release. You know, it's a new thing. It's like there's a lot more stuff that goes into it. Everyone would find that taxing.
0: So the pacing here is pretty important to get right. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like towards pacing, the machine shouldn't be changing every week, even if it could. Yeah. There's so many reasons why that would be not too good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Software is almost infinitely easy to change and push. But like, there's a lot of inertia behind hardware stuff. Like, never mind that we have all that stock and stuff. But like, the folks on our line get used to instructions. It takes a while to learn new things. Like, there is so much inertia behind actually compiling this thing together. Like, we we can't make a new release every week. <laughs> it would just be silly. It would be silly. Some semblance of design stability is critical. Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. Not too quick, not too slow. And also because these you know releases are kind of broken up into. Sometimes you have like a little patch where like prints are fixed or you know little optimizations and then sometimes we make a big release like blades or like 3.1 came with the um, linear rails we're usually kind of working on two releases at the same time yeah like right now we're working on a new version of the motherboard and like a different enclosure for the motherboard and stuff like that that's probably going to be a v4 release like it's a big boy release we're also in the middle of compiling stuff for a three one three release so we're, we're working on kind of like a bug fix one and then also a big version at the same time because we don't want to gate some of those smaller things behind a huge change that's going to take a while. It's good to be working on like a patch version and a big boy release version at the same time. At least in my experience, do, yeah. you, do you feel similar? No, I agree. Actually, okay.
0: yeah. I think that'd be my advice to the like hardware and product designers listening. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. break it up a little bit where it makes sense to. Because if we were only gunning for like the next major version of the Lumen, it would gate a lot of other smaller improvements from being seen anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And. We also, we operate very differently than, like, you know, we always go back to Formlabs because we spent a lot of time there, and that's how we saw a lot of hardware get shipped, but, you know, there were changes, but, like, once things got stable, like, they really weren't changing too much, you know? We're constantly updating different things, and our machine is so interoperable, it makes it easier to do this, so, like, depending on what your product is, you might not be able to make changes that willy-nilly, but for us, it works great, where it's like, yeah, we can just change a print and, like, make it better and, like, fix something that someone reported, like, so, it's so easy to do that, so... You know, we, we're able to do that kind of two at the same time thing or release as often as we do. And because we're fully
0: open and transparent, it's easy enough for the public to follow along with what's changing. Yeah. If the Lumen was a black box and you weren't sure what you were getting. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There'd probably be more pressure on us to communicate things better.
1: Right. But like we have release notes and we tell you what version you get when you buy the machine. So like you can literally go, oh, what's release release do I have? And you can see all the commits, all the history, like it's all just inherent in GitHub is pretty cool. Yeah.
0: You feel ready to talk about what goes into a release?
1: Yeah. Like everything that has to happen to make a hardware release for the Lumen or for feeders hardware specifically, not a firmware image or something, but like what actually goes into it? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. We're in the middle of one right now, and it's it's heady. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was just, uh oh, we're changing out a PCB
0: and a print, and then we made a checklist, and it quickly grew from, like, three things we knew we had to do to, like, 20. Yeah. Always expect this to take a little bit longer than you'd planned for. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think that's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is, obviously, does it work? Have yeah. you validated it? Are you going to have a regression? have you put it through its paces to do that. And like, this is something we talked about a little bit before, but also like, I think we have three or four validation episodes in the docket that we'll get to, but like, you have to check it. If you change stuff, you have to make sure that's not going to like cause a new failure.
0: Yeah. It takes work and effort to do a release and to have to undo one or to cause a regression. Just <laughs> It feels silly. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Do your best
1: to avoid, avoid that where possible. Yep. Only greater than or equal to value. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. So that's huge. That That's a before anything else, you have to make sure that's the case. Another part of like this
0: release planning is just deciding when to cut it off. Yeah, <laughs> like don't let your scope creep here. Yeah, decide when something can be a minor version change that's releasable versus like a major change you're gonna do a couple months from now.
1: Right, and sometimes it makes sense to add a couple extra things. Like if we're going, if you're going through the effort to make a release. Uh, maybe you put it off two more days and then you get another cool feature implemented, tested and added to that release. Like eh, sometimes it does make sense to add stuff on and like our one release had a lot of scope creep and I'm glad that it did because mm-hmm. 3.1 is awesome. It fixed so many little things. It added, you know, linear rails. Like a lot of stuff got bundled into that and it took a little longer than we had originally set out for it to, but it's it's out there, you know? Like that stuff doesn't have to be a three one three or three one four release or whatever.
0: So maybe then we'd say like, Have regard for scope creep and understand that it might be happening and like, yeah, consciously choose
1: to let it happen or not. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like should decide how important is it? Like if if someone's like, hey, there's a critical bug with this hardware. You need to fix it. Nothing else should go in that release. Yeah. (laughs) You should do a bug fix release, release. You should drop everything. That should be the only thing you work on. And you fix that problem. And yeah. like, that is, that is the only thing you should do in that release. Don't, Oh, well, maybe we put it off a couple of days. No, <laughs> make that release. And then we're maybe do another bug fix release later or something if you want to do other tweaks. But yeah. Yeah. Or sometime
0: it makes sense to wait. Like I might be working on aluminum improvement and you might be, and maybe a delay on my contribution means that our two improvements can meet at the same release.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: So just let it be a little flexible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just be intentional. Understand that you're releasing something in the world and you're sharing it.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: I think a lot of this also has to do
1: with, you know, scope creep is more, you're more inclined to do it if it's hard to make a release. Like if there's a lot of work that goes into the release, it's like, oh, well, if I'm going to go through the effort anyway, I might as well add this new feature in. (laughs) So making it easier makes it easier to release early and often. And maybe early isn't the best thing because this is hardware. It's not software. You can't just get revert. (laughs) (laughs) You're shipping an object. So it's a little different, but. You know, the easier release is, the easier it is, I think, maybe to manage scope creep and just be like, whatever, we'll just cut another release next week, you know, and make a small incremental improvement.
0: It's always funny, too, because let's say, like, it's the same amount of work to me if, let's just say, every single FDM part in the Lumen had its tolerances adjusted. Yeah. I'm not changing a single thing about the source besides updating some free CAD models. I'm not changing the BOM. I'm not changing OHI, I'm not changing public docs. Right. So, like, to me, it's the same effort to update the source on one part versus 20 for FDM.
1: Right. Yeah, it's like if you're already going in there and editing source for one of them, like you might as well do the rest. Yeah, yeah.
0: So interesting. That's that in some ways that can get ahead of me. Yeah, and like oh, I don't, I might as well change the top cover. Like, right. <laughs> I, if I'm updating one print farm setting, I'm updating same as updating three.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's actually better to bulk that together because if we're updating all those freaking SD cards, we might as well put it with if we already have it in the computer, we should be putting the right G code file on them. You know. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good consideration as well if you're printing your parts. Okay. So if you can then assume that we've decided like what
0: constitutes the release, mm-hmm. there's actually cutting it. Yes. And how does that hit the ground? What do you need to consider? Yep. And for us, there's the internal and the public changes that a release will touch. I, I can speak towards the internal stuff pretty easily. Yep. I'll, I'll let you touch on public, Stephen. Okay. And for internal, there's a couple different categories, at least for Opulo. Um, the listener here might have more, but for us, there's the like the product lifecycle management software, Aligny. We use and like how it also interfaces with our inventory management. Mm-hmm. Like we have to make a build for each lumen we sell. So I might need to make sure that our internal PLM software has an updated bomb. It's using the right number of baggies. It knows about the new PCB revision.
1: For those that don't know, PLM is product lifecycle management software. And well, you describe it. At least you know better. Yeah.
0: So as Steven said, PLM is product lifecycle management management software and it's like what organizations will use to take a design that's been validated as a successful prototype through to mass production it contains your bill of materials that it might contain change management processes
1: drawings cost of stuff vendor information it's just kind of like your database for like all the parts in a a thing you make
0: yeah ideally an export from your plm is sufficient for an overseas vendor to manufacture your product
1: yeah just like a cm packet (laughs) at least that's a subset of the cm packet Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah, that's PLM. Mm-hmm. And what is a
0: build for those that don't know in Aligny? A build is um, a production lot with okay. a start date and an end date and a, a quantity of machines you're making.
1: Okay. So it's kind of like telling our PLM software, hey, I intend to build this many using this these parts.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. To make a build, it needs to know what revision we're making. Mm-hmm. So I have to update everything if there's like material changes that Aligny would know about. Sure. Aligny doesn't really, it doesn't know about the shape of a free CAD model, but it knows how much filament it's using.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's much more about like managing what do we have in-house, you know, at the office to bake stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're consuming.
0: Exactly. And so like, let's just say then that 20 FDM parts are updated. I have to go then or someone else has to go update all of our 3MF files, reslice everything. <laughs> yeah. Validate all of those parts. Yeah. And just make sure they're printing right. Because it can be a little different
1: printing one part versus 20 on a plate. Yeah. Different <laughs> cooling is the fan being obstructed by another print on the plate. Like sometimes I'll walk over to the printers and I see prints arranged in like the most wild arrangement. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and I talk to you and Bryce about it. And you're like, it's for cooling. <laughs> like yeah. the cooling is better for this. I'm like, okay.
0: <laughs> and that's back to that validation there. Yeah. Yeah. Really. That's true. But uh, you have to think about every step of the way, like as you go through it, I guess. Yeah. And then also internally, we have to make sure that the production line has the right training in place to build a new revision. Yep. Maybe they don't need to be updated on changes. Uh, maybe it's just a part's easier to handle. Yep. But in the case that it's more complicated than that, we have to update OHi. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have to tell them how to handle a PCBA totally different than they were before. Right. Like and
1: and OHi is the website we have for instructions yeah. for the folks here that are actually building the machines. We have our all, all our assembly instructions online. It's the work instructions, effectively. Yeah. Open yeah. hardware assembly instructions. Yeah. O-H-A-I. Ohai.opulo.io. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a cool site. It's like the sleeper version of our docs page is kind of how I think about it. It's like the one for us, but anyone that wants to build one can use it too. Yeah. And there's a, a fine
0: little nugget here that's interesting. And it's like, yes, there may be a release to GitHub. And yes, there may be a release to Liney, But we have to decide when we're making the new version. And we yeah. have to plan for who
1: gets it. Yes. Like which actual order do we switch over for? And what builds do we say, okay, this is the build that's gonna be this one. We need to make sure it lands by this one. Like uh, yeah, that's it's it's making like a theoretical version thing match up with a real life logistic thing of like how fast can we make things and when are these machines shipping? That's weird too. <laughs> yeah. And that can be the hard part. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly. The public GitHub release might not have time pressure to it, but Let's say we took a Lumen offline that was making the old version of a PCBA. We now have time constraints and pressure
1: to get something out there. Right. Yeah, totally. And then also with inventory, there's the the whole thing about what do we do with old stock? Like, let's say we update a print, like X-Gantry front. Let's say we yeah. update X-Gantry front. And we have 50 of them printed already. What do we do with those? Those are technically from the last build. Well, we could either choose to, let's say it's adjusting a nut fit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Okay. We could consume that stock and still use it in the next version, and it's not—it's just going to functionally change something on the line for how easy it is to put it together, but if it's, like, a version compatibility, like, it changes the height of a part that you can pick for a certain version or something, that needs to be gated cleanly. You should throw away all your old stock so that you don't get compatibility mixes.
0: Yeah, there's there's been releases where we have to scrap a couple hundred dollars worth of 3D prints. There's yeah. been releases where... A lot of prints changed, but we're comfortable using the old version because it just made it easier for
1: us, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. Those are really easy for consume old stock. It's like, we're not going to throw out all those prints. If it's just a little bit easier to make it for the new version, eh, it rolls in when it rolls in. Yeah. It was
0: brutal to scrap inventory when we were switching between machine colors, if you remember.
1: Oh, yeah, I do. Because we used to we used to print it in that, like yolky color. Yeah.
0: Even earlier, one build might be silver, then we tried out the sh- uh, yoke yellow color. Oh, that's right. And then we switched to like our black with gold accent colors. So that's like, true. I was scrapping buckets of filament because there's yeah. no interoperability of like mixed color. Colors. Parts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it
1: looks like a mess otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've learned a lot about how to manage that better and like, especially with our print firm expanding, we can run leaner with what prints we have in inventory because printing is so fast we can just catch up immediately so if we stay really hand-to-mouth there's almost never a lot to scrap because we just we print what we need almost real time
0: yeah and bryce and i have actually worked out a fantastic little system with minimizing print scrap rates where um the moment i know a part is going to be changed by the next release i go up to his bin for that component and i put a red x on it to to convey print only as needed Don't send it hard at the print farm making this
1: component. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, make that part just in time. Right. Because it's going to be deprecated soon. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't realize that's what that was. Yeah. That's cool. The the next
0: version of that will be never print that part again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I need, maybe there's a hot fix or something that has to happen. Sure. Yeah,
1: that's a great system for it. And also, prints are a much more acceptable thing to throw out. Like, if we have, like, $20,000 worth of, like, cameras or something yeah we're not throwing those out <laughs> like that we the design and the release has to consider also what we have in stock because even you know as, as long as it's still workable like if if we realize that like let's say the cameras are just not workable yeah we can't chip that but mm-hmm. if it's just an improvement or you know we we change it because of whatever other reason we have to consider we have x amount of aluminum extrusion in stock like we can't just throw out twenty thousand. you know what i mean yeah. that's just not realistic
0: related to that i have this notion i get two of us all the time of like a cost down is only a cost down if we're not like scrapping all the inventory and changing to it (laughs) right
1: (laughs) yeah a cost down should land once already purchased stock has depleted almost exactly that's an interesting one. If we cost something down, we should probably just have a release in the barrel ready to go. And then as soon as we run out, we make the release, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That That's an interesting thing too, because yeah, it, the cost down doesn't realize cost savings until a very long time. And you're also throwing out a bunch of useful stuff. Yeah. You know, like that it sucks. The balance. It is a balance. Yeah. I
0: think we touched on all the internal stuff here pretty yes. good. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can circle back and add more to what I'd said, but let's talk about the public side of this.
1: Yes. So... That's kind of all the opulo, how are we making the thing? What do we do with existing stock? But the main interface with the public that we have for the machine is the GitHub release and the web store, where people can actually buy it. So the GitHub release is pretty straightforward. We have a pretty standardized method of making the release. There's a new place where all of the source goes. I've written a lot of CI tools in conjunction with a lot of our devs to like auto-export STLs and blah, 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 blah. But that all happens automatically. That's pretty easy. The meat of the thing is making sure that the bomb is up to date, uh, the bill of materials, because everything is based on that for the output release for GitHub and then writing release notes. That's a huge thing, too, because we want to be really thorough. That is ground truth. What is this source version? And like we should be incredibly explicit and thorough about what's in it. What did we change? Like when people are thinking about updating parts or whatever, they should know what that version is going to give them. What, what am I getting? What, is it worth it for me to update? Whatever. So. That's a huge part of it is just the whole GitHub side of things. And then the release happens. We have a lot of automated stuff. There's a couple of things that the CI, the continuous integration, continuous deployment, GitHub tool doesn't add to the release that I have to like manually add, which is fine. Something I have on my to-do list to make it even more clean cut. But yeah, so that's the first part. And then the other part is the web store. This is arguably a lot more difficult depending <laughs> on what we're doing. Sometimes we'll make a release. Like let's say we'd make a minor release where it's just print dimensions. We don't change jack crap. It's just the same product. It's the same thing. They don't need to know. They yeah. We say it's V three still shipping or three one. I think we say on the web store. Yeah, and then beyond that, it doesn't matter. If we're selling a new thing, or it's different enough that it looks different. Okay, well now we have to retake product hero photos, like the three one machine with linear rails. I burned a day and change, like setting up a photo studio in this room we're recording right now and like taking photos and cleaning them up and masking out the background and blah, 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 blah. It was a ton of extra stuff. We had to add that to the product page. We had to decide the price. This is more like new product stuff. Like how much are we going to charge for the thing? How much does it cost us to make it? And like we have to decide that. We have to calculate how much is it in labor? We have to build them to know how long it takes to know how much it costs us to know how much to charge which is very weird.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So depending on how something's changing, it might touch way more arms of the company than just engineering and touch on like the, like heavily, heavily on product
1: areas of like our operation. Right. And then there's SEO, there's metadata, there's like putting it into, you know, like analytics and like, there's a whole, there's a bunch of stuff. If we make a new product, it's like, oh man, there's like a whole laundry list of things. It's not just like we put it on the web store and it's done. It's like, it is a project to even list a single item on the website. There might be a film crew to email. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true for theaters. We, we hired a whole production company to come in and like, that was such a cool experience. That was awesome.
0: Very grateful. We were able to do that.
1: Yeah, that was, that was cool. But like, that was a huge thing. And that took, you know, probably a week and change of my time to like manage and structure and communicate with and like have the actual shoot and prep parts for and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was a lot. So, Huge there. Would you say that docs are a part of the public release process? Yeah, that's a really good point too. They a hundred percent are. I'd say probably the most that I would feel comfy with us changing without doing a docs update is like maybe where something is in the packaging. But even then sometimes like people don't realize that the nozzle tips are mounted in the nozzle rack on the staging plate. And they're like, hey, my machine didn't come with nozzle tips. And it was like, check this thing. And they're like, oh. So, like, being really explicit about that kind of thing is super important. So, like, even sometimes if we change how something's packaged, it's like, even that might need a docs update to be like, hey, this is where you'll find this thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah, most of the time, there's going to be an update. There's going to be an update of some kind to the docs as well that also has to land with it just a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. And then also if we're changing, this is a whole other thing too. This is like source GitHub stuff. You know, if let's say we're just changing prints or, or we're changing something about the machine, it might also come with config and software changes too. So there might be other repos with other things that I need to make a new cut of a release for code even and attach that onto the release as well. And that's not just the, Like most of our code is actually not in the Lumen repo. I actually don't think there's any code in the Lumen repo. It's all Marlin and OpenPNP. Well, OpenPNP has config files. So that's still in the repo. But Marlin is separate. Photon for the feeder firmware, that's a separate repo. So that needs to be compiled if we're going to land a firmware update or a software update along with that. That's a whole other thing too. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. (laughs) A lot of stuff goes into actually cutting your release hardware. I'll say this though. Top header about the release. Yeah. Each release is a
0: stable version of the product that we'd stand by for yeah. like years to come. Yeah. So all of this needs to be condensed, crushed down into like a zip folder that could be a Lumen that you could make out in space and use indefinitely. Yeah. Like each release is something that you need to be comfortable standing by and supporting with documentation and anything else that might be a part of running that Lumen. Yep.
1: Yeah. It is a standalone block of validated hardware yeah. <laughs> or configuration even because it's you know, it can also have software in the release. But yeah, not only are we trying to put it out and document it, but we're also kind of stamping it and being like, yep, here's a valid one. If you check out this other random part, well, we haven't checked to make sure that that other previous version of a part works with all the other ones. This is us saying, yes, this is one that we tested and it it, it works. You know, it, it's us stamping that. And if we've realized, oh, there's actually something else that we need to, you know, add to that, we can edit the release, which is really nice. And we've been able to do that before. <laughs> That's been handy. Yes, it has. So from the original question from discord about what do we actually do between designing and building the thing, we're, we're actually kind of always doing both. Like it's rare nowadays that Lucia and I will actually be building the machine ourselves. Like we have a whole team of folks that all they do is build machines and ship them out. But Lucia and I are pretty much always working on another release or two. We usually always have a bug fix release that's kind of in the works where we're kind of collecting little bits of updates that we're ready to put out for another release. And then we're also always working on some new big feature or some big major revision that's going to add some big chunk of functionality or something like that. So we're kind of, there's never really downtime, (laughs) you know, we're like, we're always kind of working on a new release.
0: Yeah. And when there is downtime, it's ample opportunity for you to catch up on content and make the docs better.
1: Yeah, totally. Like if, if there is a, a time where, you know, maybe my part of a big major release is addressed and you know, I'm waiting on your stuff for CAD or something like that. Yeah, maybe I'm working on docs or I'm making another video or something along those lines. But there really isn't stuff like also in the comment was mentioned like what if we get a PCB back and the footprints aren't correct and stuff like that. And you know, that could delay a release. That stuff happens so much ahead of time before the release. Like we haven't even scheduled a release that includes the PCB. We're working on a new PCB for the Lumen right now. Yeah. I'm I'm getting back beta builds of it very frequently, like one every couple of weeks as I, you know, I'm, I'm iterating through it. We don't even remotely have a release for that scheduled yet yeah. because, you know, we're only scheduling it when we're like really coming up on like things feel stable and tested. So they don't really delay it that much. And also it's getting PCBs is so quick. <laughs> it's so like I'm never really waiting for anything. Prints are immediate, firmware compiles, you know. And if the release gets delayed, we still stand by the previous one. We'll just manufacture
0: the previous version of the Lumen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Before we get further into it, we're going to take a quick second for your little ad sponsor.
1: We'd like to thank PCBWay for sponsoring this episode of the OWN Podcast. We use PCBWay for all of our prototype boards, getting in excellent PCBs as early as we can possibly get them for different versions of the motherboard. And recently, we just got a whole bunch of PCBs in for slots, which we're upgrading the Lumen PMP for. So this new version, getting it on the line quickly was super important for saving us time. We got prototypes in in less than a week. We immediately validated them and then turn around and we were able to order production lots. And that was because PCBWay got us awesome quality PCBs as soon as possible. Thank you so much to PCBWay for sponsoring this episode.
0: Okay, third section. Okay, cool. So. The next section we we wanted to talk about here is, like, what do we think about when we make a release?
1: Which is arguably the biggest part of this. Like, actually doing kind of the the drudge work of, like, structuring all the files and writing the release notes and whatever is, like, that's easy. But, like, thinking about uh, all the weird asterisks is really (laughs) the meat of the thing.
0: And I'd, I'd say this is a category of, like considerations that it is a part of the entire process like from beginning yeah, to end totally yep but for the sake of this conversation it's just only being brought up now yep the first thing we'd had written down was how much do docs need to be rewritten if necessary for a release right um a big consideration is that sometimes they might a release may just completely bifurcate what you've previously written about the product <laughs> yes <laughs> and that can be really frustrating yeah or it can be really important to the customer totally or it can be Just maybe a change would, if not documented, it's confusing to the customer and we need to make sure they're covered. Yeah. a a succinct way to say that.
1: Totally. Like the the best example I can think of here is when we went from version 305 to 3.1 and that was going from V-slot rollers to linear rails on the machine. And the assembly is actually not that different because that's all obfuscated behind stuff that we make. Like when the customer gets it, you drop the X gantry on the Y gantry, you bolt it in. Not that much different, but all of the pictures in the docs different yeah all of them if I got a machine and I'm like I'm putting it together and I have these spicy new linear rails and I see rollers and all the pictures I'm gonna think I'm in the wrong place Mm -hmm. so you took two full days and redid the entire assembly docs v3.1 because it's gonna be a nightmare otherwise people are gonna get confused we're gonna get messages about it people aren't gonna know what's going on that's super important. And I think the docs differed by no more than 500 words, yeah. if that. Yeah, it was mostly pictures. But yeah, exactly. It'd be yeah. it'd have been
0: confusing to the end user. Totally. If they'd seen the wrong machine in the build instructions.
1: Yep, yeah. So, and like doing that work was totally worth it because like 3.1 and adding linear rails was a huge improvement. But it's something to think about. Like, how much are you going to have to rewrite docs? Is it going to completely nuke it? Are you going to have to restructure how you do docs? Are you going to have to like have a drop down now for like, what version am I on? And like, oh man, I mean, there's so many ways to do that it's messy. (laughs) Yeah. We used to try
0: to have our docs site be pegged exactly to the hardware version. Yeah. Like the GitHub source
1: would contain like the docs page. Yeah. And it was just too much. We couldn't go back and edit previous versions and like releases were tied to docs updates and like breaking it out into a separate repo was really helpful because you need to be able to do docs are not a clean one-to-one to a release if you're supporting old versions. It just doesn't work that way. So we need to be able to, and also update old versions. If like V2 users are like, Hey, I'm having this problem, but it's only for V2. We need to be able to update those docs for those people. And like, if it's just a hard set old version. Yeah. So yeah, that's a huge thing to consider. Like how much work is going to go into that release? How much time are we going to need to do that? Definitely. Definitely. This is one of the biggest ones that the folks in discord were talking about. This is one of the biggest important things (laughs) is hardware is permanent and software is changeable. If we were a software company, That's the whole ethos of a ship early and often. Yeah. If something's broken software wise, get revert, ship it, out it goes, problem fixed. Mm -hmm. We do not have that luxury. We are shipping an object to somebody. It is not something that you can revert easily. It is a commitment to that hardware to ship it. We don't get that same kind of benefit. (laughs) So we need to be way more careful and considerate about what we actually ship. There are some things that we can do that do let us get some flexibility. One of the best examples is Marlin configs and OpenPMP settings. Lets us really, really change how the machine operates, which is a really nice luxury that we get. So we can still kind of benefit some of the software stuff because you know software is what's controlling the hardware. But the things that are super critical, like linear rails, don't skimp on linear rails. Linear <laughs> rails are correct. We make sure they're correct because that's something we're shipping. If it's a software thing that we can fix, sure. But like, yeah, something like that is no joke.
0: Yeah, definitely. We that And that's why in previous episodes we talked about how there's so much quality that goes into the hardware. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. need to be so scrutinous of what's going out. Mm-hmm. What's the hardware going to release? Yeah. Does it all work together?
1: Will it work indefinitely? Totally. And like shipping a replacement part is possible. This is my next point here is like the Lumen is very configurable and easy to modify. Mm-hmm. It's very open, you know, literally open source. But like, you can generally see how most parts of it go together. You put the broad strokes of it together yourself. So a part swap is a very easy way that we can fix something, but that's not something we want to rely on ever. And it's also expensive to do that, especially for international people. And especially for international people where we want to get the problematic one back for like figuring out what's wrong with it. It's really expensive. So like doing it right the first time is like always worth it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. for the international folks, it's like, to get them something quickly to fix the machine being down, it's guaranteed to cost $40 plus the parts plus the labor. Yeah, yeah. To get it back.
1: <laughs> so much more.
0: Guaranteed to cost $100 plus their time. Yeah,
1: it's just bad. Everything. Yeah, It's yeah. just, it's just bad. And it's also, it's messy. It's not a good experience for them. Like doing it right the first time is so important. And that's why we mentioned earlier, like the validation of that new version. Like we have to go through the proper steps to make that happen. But. Yeah. So the fact that we can swap things, I mean, it's always better to be able to swap a part out than to have to have them send an entire machine back to <laughs> us. Like we can just send them a replacement part and you know, th- that just solves the problem, you know? So having it be interoperable and have people be able to replace parts is huge. That's a really, really nice thing.
0: Been very handy. Yeah. Especially such a talented user base. Like if you have the chops to Most of our users know how to design circuit boards. They have a lot of electrical experience. Yeah. They know how to use an Allen wrench. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So that also helps a lot too. Yeah. It might be different if someone's making a product catered to like a non-technical audience. Right.
1: Yeah. So you making it so that parts are very swappable and interoperable, and that's something that we think a lot about when we're designing the thing to make it really easy to like edit and like what's the customer? Does the customer have we shipped to the customer every tool they need to work on any part of the machine? Like we ship a very specific kind of allen key to make sure that customers can use That was a whole thing. like <laughs> we switched the driver type for feeder screws. And we had to think about well, do they definitively have that screw driver? Have we shipped it to them before? Do we know they have it? And like that kind of thing. Making sure they can do that is huge. And also being able to change stuff in software later. Lucian, you had kind of a cheeky idea about what if we had a, I think it was just yesterday we were talking about this. Like right now, the motherboard is set up to uh, do sensorless homing for X and Y and then limit switches for everything else. What if we had like a software configurable like crowbar? I forget the name of the chip, but it just like lets you connect pins together arbitrarily. And we could swap the pins for the driver to like or for, for the limit switch to decide whether or not it's connected to sensorless or a limit switch. Like, that's a great example of choosing hardware that lets software change stuff in the field. Right. What hardware we ship lets us change. It. And we still kind of do that because we have jumpers on the back. The customer can cut and solder a jumper. So that's software like I, it's not software editable, but it's like after shipping editable. Doing things like that really lets people be able to have some more flexibility of, you know, we we can change things. We can tweak stuff later.
0: We make a machine that we know the software can stand by and support. And like, we
1: we don't ship anything we couldn't improve the software. Right. Yeah, another great example of this is the stepper drivers we use. We set the current software-wise. The customer doesn't have to take the driver out and turn a screwdriver with a multimeter and make sure it's set correctly. They just put in a line of G-code and it's set. So that's a great example of that. It's like software-defined. The last thing about... That I want to talk about with hardware being permanent is the interposer for the vacuum sensor. This was a time where we didn't ship the hardware right. And the first Rev3 motherboard, the vacuum sensors were like not nearly sensitive enough. And we did test them, but like we didn't test enough of them because the variation of the resistor that we used for the gain or whatever, whatever the whole situation ended up being it wasn't you couldn't get a strong enough signal out of it to really get consistent detection for most people's things the ones we tested happened to be okay but it was nominal we and it it was because i made a really silly error like to be totally frank i made a really dumb mistake and that's what ultimately caused this thing so what we did and this was this was cool i think this was thea that helped us kind of work through how what the best way to solve this was is uh, she calls them boo-boo boards (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we made, I didn't know she said that. Well, well, she she made a a boo boo board for a some PCB that she got made recently, and like it's 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 exactly the interposer. Yeah. It's like a little swap board. But anyway, the the interposer is a little PCB that kind of just changes the pin out, and it pretends to be its own component. And anyone that had a Rev3 motherboard, we just say patently if you have this and you'd like to use vacuum sensing, shoot us an email, and we'll just send you one. And I made this whole docs page to show how do you remove the old one, how do you solder on a new one. So we just offer this upgrade path and do docs on how to do it. Like it's hot air rework, but like you have hot air rework if you have this thing. So it ended up being all right, but it was a huge pain in the butt. It sucked for customers that they had to deal with this thing. I always think back to that when we ship hardware, of like we just need to be so aware and so thorough testing of like, what if the 1% resistors are high or versus low? Like we need to consider that because yeah. if there is going to be a problem, we're going to see it there.
0: We got so lucky there. That only shipped in the V2 Lumen, where the ask on the user to get the machine working was so much higher. That's true.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and we also knew they had soldering equipment because they had to solder parts of the motherboard. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: I think if that happened, if we needed an interposer on the current Lumen, we'd be probably talking about setting new boards. Yeah, probably. And we even, like, we looked at the pros and cons of doing that at the time. Yeah. And it was... Way cheaper to do this.
1: Yeah. Most people didn't want a new one, too. Like they, And also, most people didn't use the vacuum sensors. Like, yeah. that wasn't even something we talked about in the docs in the first version. Like, it was really only something for later on, but people were trying to use it, and they're like, it just doesn't work. So, yeah, that's, that's a huge, that's something I always think back to of, like, it's just, we got really lucky in that we could solve it that way, but it's so important to get the hardware right and deal with it in software later.
0: Yeah, it's easier to get it right the first time and even if it means releasing a little bit slower. Yeah. That validation. Totally. Like double checking
1: even assumptions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And our vacuum sensor now, it's monolithic. It's an integrated sensor. We talked to it over I squared (laughs) C software. We talked to it over software. We can do all our configuration over software. I don't have to worry about this resistor value isn't right. Nope. It's just it's all software defined. So we try and think about doing stuff as much that way if, if we can.
0: That's a pretty good segue into a section we called full permutation compatibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think Steven could speak to this better. But. Yeah. There is a incredibly complicated dependency tree of all like many hundreds of parts that are in the lumen. And a lot of them, the dependency tree like doesn't matter that much, but some things only one version of the PCB will work with a certain version of firmware. Only one set of docs will work with a certain release. All that kind of stuff. With the the V3 Lumen, now we have the Z gantries are 13 millimeters shorter. And now all the open PMP config has to change. But like, there are, it is such a messy web of interoperability. The only way, and when I was at Formlabs, I actually, I wrote a lot of like notes to myself about like how I thought versioning should work of a hardware product. And like, looking back, it's like, oh honey, you're so naive. <laughs> yeah, This doesn't, this doesn't land with real life at all. But what I wanted was a full dependency tree of every single part in the machine, like absolute nightmare of like, like logistics work to maintain, but you could change one part and know what would depend on it. It was really messy. It was just not good. So what we do instead, because it is just such a Herculean task to figure out that dependency tree is we do kind of what we said already, which is we get a version, we get like a screenshot, a current config of the machine, which is our release. And we test that and we say, this is going to work. And then there's some things where we're like, yeah, this version will work with it too. Like right now, this is actually going to change pretty soon, but the Marlin config for V3 works with all V3 machines. That's something that we've intentionally said, yeah, this version will work with previous versions of hardware. There is some flex there. But for the most part, we take that release and we say, this is the setup. You maybe could go to a more recent version for other things, but like, this is the one we tested.
0: Right. Imagine trying to imagine any combination of all software, firmware, and docs and like tell the users what to do in any given sort, like what you described about that dependency graph, it'd be impossible. It's impossible. There'd be no way to move forward and make progress.
1: Yeah, totally. Like it's, it is the software, like the open configuration. It's the Marlin config. Or Photon config. Yeah, then Photon is a whole other thing. There's a protocol version. There's a firmware version. There's an OpenPMP version. There's a Marlin version. All of those need to be in lockstep to make all the whole feeder communication stuff work. All PCBs and versioning of that stuff, documentation for all that stuff, and the actual physical CAD. Like, what is the shape of the machine? Yeah. It's impossible to do it. I had such lofty goals thinking about how that would be structured. In my experience, taking a specific release and being like, does all this work together? is one of the cleanest ways.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a narrow road, but it's probably worth keeping the, the users of the product on that path. Yeah, otherwise they're in no man's land and that's too hard to support.
1: Yeah, because it's impossible to know. Like, I haven't tested it. I can't tell you if you change this one part and you change this one config, but keep the firmware the same. Like, I can give you a guess, <laughs> but there's almost infinite options there, <laughs> yeah. you know? So yeah, it's a it's a complicated thing. But that's something that we think about a lot too, is like, is this screenshot going to work? And if this screenshot, you know, the release I should really say, is it compatible with any other previous things in a way that we know for sure are going to work? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a whole thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> it's so, it can be so complicated, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're using this nozzle rack, but you have the, uh, the old Z gantries. Yeah. You, no devastatingly
1: bad. Idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's hard. And that's why it's like, use, just use everything from that release. Yeah. You know, and that that leads us really well into upgrading. Yeah.
0: We have to think about upgradability in releases, uh, at least within reason. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we make sure that the V2 users who have been along for the ride this whole time can benefit from the work we continue to do? Right. We can't obviously consider how every part we design might be installed in a V2. Yeah. We might want to consider, like, what cables do they have? At their office right now. Right. Like, would this board work for what a V2 user owns in their facility right now? Totally.
1: Yeah. Like, would they be able to do this swap and just use the cables? And maybe the cable's a little extra long and they have to bundle it up, but they still get most of the benefit.
0: Yeah. Just having regard for them is very, I think, respectful of us. And I we try to do it as much as we can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because people want to upgrade their stuff. Yeah. You know? It makes sense. You know, we're constantly, if you get one of these things, if you buy hardware from us or someone doing an open hardware thing. Part of that is you want to have access to the upgrades. And if we just nuke that, it kind of removes a lot of the value of making it all open to begin with, you know? Where
0: it can get complicated is people that want to upgrade halfway. And that's like what we were saying before. Yeah. And like what Steven was saying, we can give them advice, but we, no, I haven't built that
1: permutation. Yeah. 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 And there are some permutations that like a lot of people have done that we're pretty aware of, like works well. Like a lot of V2 users now have a Red 4 motherboard you know, they upgraded their motherboard. We know what that looks like for them and like what changes they need to make. We know what like a V3 Zero machine that had rollers upgrading to linear rails, which is really just Stargle's or Thea's linear rail mod. Yeah, it's pretty much just that. There's another thing about upgradability is like, what do we know that the customer has? Like We know that all V2 users have a printer. So like anyone with a V2 machine, we know that prints work for them. We know how long their cables are. We, we can consider like what do they have in house and tools because we know what tools that come in the toolkit. We know what tools they guaranteed have that they'll be able to use. And I, I touched on this earlier, but like when we switched the screw type in the feeder from hex to Allen, we stopped including the Torx driver because we knew that they already had the Allen key for it in the original toolkit. So like thinking about what we know that they already have and what they'd be able to upgrade is important, too. But at some point, too, it's important to cut it off.
0: Like, I won't delay the switch over to a different bolt if a V2 user doesn't have it. Like, I'll, I'll be thoughtful. Right. Like, they can go to the hardware store and get that. It's not some unobtainium thing.
1: Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's more of just like being aware of it. You know, if like there's a Torx driver in there, like if, if they build it themselves. Yeah. Some tools might be a little more toss up. But like if it's a common thing, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of OK to know that that's going to be the case. So yeah, really V2 printer stuff is like, is one of the bigger ones, but a lot of V3 users don't have printers. They can't print their own stuff, which is weird. I mean, it's not really weird. It makes sense that like maybe some people just don't care about having a printer but we've always had that for historically and then suddenly people can't print upgrades it's it's interesting
0: up until a couple months ago you pretty much needed to own a printer to use Illumin productively because like board fixtures we had the universal option but Hmm. some people in high production settings might want something bespoke Mm -hmm. but more pointedly like strip feeders if you needed strip feeders you had to print them from source yep and now we sell them yeah like so we march more and more towards like people can just everything from us right yeah yeah every release makes the lumen more and more viable in a printerless facility <laughs> yes. yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah but you know for, for the folks that have them it's it's interesting to think about like what what do we know they have for sure yeah so th- that's a big part of that as well
0: I think we hit upgradability pretty good mm-hmm. so we can talk then about like product decisions yeah along with the engineering changes that accompany
1: them yeah so we also have to think about so here's a good example in v3 1, we started shipping the slots, the little PCBs that let the feeders interface back to the the Lumen and Open PMP. We started attaching them onto the machine. Now we don't need to sell the kit, right? The, the harness kit. Now we sell it with the machine. You'd think so. Yep. <laughs> but we have to still sell it for all the V3.0 users that maybe still want one. All the V2 users that maybe still want one. There are some people that are only now assembling their V2 that we sold them a year and a half ago. Like I've, I see people that are just now cracking their box open, yeah. you know, like these people are still can still be using this thing. You know, we, we still have to be able to support that kind of thing. And what about builders? Maybe a builder wants to build a machine and just buy the slot kit from us. Maybe they just don't want to deal with that part. Like it, it's not just necessarily we have to make product decisions about like, what does it look like when someone goes to opula.io and thinks about what to buy? Right. What's on the web page? And like, (laughs) that's an important part of some of these things, you know? Oh, this this is my favorite example of this. The staging plate. Yeah. So if you you go, this is you want to talk about permutation annoyances. (laughs) The staging plate, if you go to Opula.io and you look at what you can buy for the staging plate, there's like drop downs Mm -hmm. and options for a PC, a big PCB. It's a big panel. (laughs) The reason is we made some changes to the lumen where we added rubber feet to the machine and we also added what we call high heels. It's like a little extender to make the machine a little taller yeah i does do the rubber feet mess with a permutation? yeah, that's me? the if you
0: pick three o four or earlier, you mm. don't get the rubber feet right If you pick three o five, you get a short staging plate foot with your p c b staging plate that has a rubber foot on it, yep, if you pick. 3 1 as the staging plate option, you get a long staging plate foot with a rubber foot installed. <laughs> y- yeah. It's and, like, <laughs> and there's also, you can bet a one pack or a two pack. So there's like six permutations staging plate you can buy from that one product page because we've made three decisions along the way.
1: And I think something that we discussed about this because this felt messy to us is like, well, when do I have to Do I really care about this for my dropdown? We're like, what if we just give them both feet and then we give them a little pack of rubber feet they can stick on if they want to? Well, how do they know which one to put on? <laughs> and then we have to have a docs page. that's like, if you got an auxiliary staging plate and you have this version, put the rubber foot, just do it just to have them tell us what it is. And then we'll worry about that compatibility too. So when we make these changes, sometimes, you know, we'll be like, Oh, we'll upgrade this. And then one of us will like look up from our computer and be like, Oh man, how, how is this going to work for buying like an individual part for this? Like, what's that going to mean? You know what I mean? What if we changed the feeder to have a different connector for the drive motor? Okay. Now we have to have a feeder parts kit for like okay, V V1 yeah. feeders, V2 feeder parts kit with a different connector on it. And like, ugh, you know, it's just it's a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know? So this is also going to heavily affect what product decisions we make. What do we actually sell? You know?
0: It, it's so complicated. Like the node graph of dependencies, if you're trying to make one for any product we sold, it can just splinter at the slightest change. Yeah. So it's about making product changes
1: that like help minimize
0: that. Mm-hmm. And when it does bifurcate it, you're so conscious about it.
1: Totally. Yeah. Like even the like tool head stuff. Like, I think right now that has not had to be updated at all, like the tool head assembly. But, you know, if we change the connector or something, OK, now we have two versions of that. Like, we, it, there's so many. It's not just about the design. We have to think about all of the repercussions that come out of that as well. It's just messy. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I can totally see why certain companies will sell every single part of their machine <laughs> and just let people pick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but that's putting it onto the user, right? Like when we have the dropdown of like, what version machine do you have? That makes it pretty obfuscated to the user. They just look at the little piece of paper we sent to them or the release that they built from and they go, okay, this, I'm just going to put it in. And then we handle that permutation for them. But you know, if you're a builder, yeah, you kind of, you're kind of, <laughs> and you're doing something off, off the rails. You're trying to do something weird. Yeah. You're in no man's land. Like it's, you, you kind of have to figure it out. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah.
0: And, uh, when we added rubber feet to the staging plate feet. We meme about it to this day
1: because it caught us off guard with that level of complexity. Right. What was the thing about it? Oh, wait. That was literally the joke was that we forgot that like the auxiliary. It, it, it's that we forgot the staging plate foot also needed a rubber foot. Yeah. Because we originally just added rubber feet to the four legs and we're like, cool, done. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wait a minute. It's now the staging plates are going to be at different heights. Yeah, they don't the machine that doesn't touch the ground. It doesn't touch. It floats now. So then we had to add those rubber feet. And then we're like, oh, wait a minute. Now that means replacement staging plates need to have the yeah that's right that's where this yeah. all came from,
0: and Gosh. I had and I'd put it also got more complicated too because it wasn't just adhering feet to an existing print I had put divots on the front and back left le- uh, front and back oh, legs that's right so it was a CAD change I put too. divots on the staging plate foot to center it so you couldn't just like adhere a foot there was CAD <laughs> changes there was it was a nightmare and we we've we we've, we've found our bearings about it but yep. I, I we tried gluing the rubber feet onto the the leg like, prints before it went in the box, and when we packed it into the box, the feet were sheared off because the foam fit tight. Yep, yep. Like, To harken <laughs> it back, we really need to think about every change. Exactly. And, and in
1: this, and this anecdote, we got we got our butts kicked. We got nuked by that one. That was like a whole like okay, stop the presses. We got to figure this one out. <laughs> yeah. And now, now in common opulal parlance when we say is you know are we gonna get rubber footed that means <laughs> are we making a change that we think is so small we don't have to worry about the repercussions but actually there's like an insidious like huge implication of this change yeah you know oh my god, rubber feet is, is our way of saying hold on we should really think and see if this affects something <laughs> yeah <Boy. laughs> hoy is right it was, it
0: was traumatizing. it was
1: like it was yeah it was just so silly it even such like a
0: goofy thing even in the public assembly docs for like unpacking your machine like it's considered, like, okay, when do they put the rubber feet on? Because if you're sliding your machine around constantly to build it, are they going to fall off? Yep, like, yep. There's just so much to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to it. You have to think through the entire stack every time because you can't, like, there's this idea with validation of, if you're running, a te- a, like, a validation test on, I don't know, some new product, you can run unit tests for that product and make sure, like, it can do all of the things that you think it should be able to do, right? All of the experiments individually. And theoretically, if all of those little individual things work, it does the thing, right? But what if you didn't catch a certain unit test? What if one of those unit tests doesn't matter at all? And or n- n- what if even if they're all good, you're missing a unit test. And it's like, oh, well, that's a whole other variable I didn't even think about. There is nothing that replaces the full stack practical test. You can unit test all day long. And sometimes that's useful to do that, to validate that like something is going to do at least you're on the right track to get it to do what you want to do. But the only way to know for sure is to think through the entire, what is it doing? Am I going to be able to pick and place a part on a lumen with only rubber feet on the four legs? You have to think through the whole thing every time. It's yeah. exhausting, <laughs> but you but have to do it.
0: It's critical. Yep. And uh, you will forget something. Yep. For us, we it's important enough to- Build a lumen for each major release cycle. Mm-hmm. There's
1: at least one. Sometimes yeah. we build a, a, a bunch of them. Yeah, like three. One, we built a whole bunch because we were we were testing a lot of stuff on it, and we ended up putting a lot of them on our line, and we use them. Mm-hmm. um But yeah, because maybe
0: my auxiliary bolt bag is missing something. Yeah, put it together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Doing an audit like that is just—it's <laughs> just so important. <laughs> <laughs> Try to avoid getting burnt. Yep. I'm like, oh, this is actually a perfect time to talk about autobomb as a project. <laughs> So some of the things that that tool will do is automatically export STLs for everything. It will actually, this is my favorite thing. It will look at the bomb.csv file, which is effectively like ground truth. What is in a release? And it will take that and convert it into a website that you can go and view the bomb. It's like a local HTML page that you can download from each release and you can go and you can look at each thing. There will even be a rendered picture of the STL of every free CAD model. And it does all this automatically in the cloud. It's just like we literally press release and it poops out Gerber's for all the PCBs, all totally exported, ready to purchase all STLs exported. The whole bill of materials dropped out as well. Something that I really want to add is I want to have all our YAML files that define our cable harnesses and wire viz export the wire viz like SVGs and stuff. That'd be awesome. There's a bunch of stuff we can do. So instead of like actually having to export everything, we have a lot of tools that make a release really easy. And this is actually something that I want to turn into its own thing. Like I want to make a a Docker container option for like GitHub actions where you just say like import auto bomb and it will just bring it into your action. And as long as you have your, you know, uh, bomb.csv file in your repo, it assumes you're using FreeCAD and KiCAD or, you know, other things that it can export from Ubuntu effectively. And it will just generate this beautiful export of like, here is this release. Here's this version of this project. You can view the 3D model in 3D. You can view the PCB in uh, Kai Canvas Embed and like all of these things where it's just like a nice, clean, truly isolated viewer of the source. You know, that's really what I want. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be really cool. But that really helps. You know, that saves us a ton of time for making a release. Once we write the notes and we have all the files in place, we hit go and GitHub's mostly done. And then it's a lot of work for you and Aligny, you know, getting that stuff. We don't quite have that level of automation for Aliny yet. <laughs> yeah, it'd be cool to make it one in the same, but yeah. not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. I think there's probably some ways. And I think especially with something like inventory, like integrations and stuff, like it's so open and easy to connect to. I could see something there happening for sure.
0: Me and the inventory team have spoken about that before and, uh, yeah. They're on the same wavelength as us, I'll say,
1: yeah, yeah. And for those that aren't aware, Inventory is this really cool piece of software. It's an open source like inventory management. It's kind of it's PLM software. It's like what Aligny is for us. Aligny is A L I G N I, but it's closed. It's free for open source projects, but it's like it's great, but it's money. Yeah, <laughs> and Inventory is. Not money, and it's really cool and super extendable, and, like, the dev team is awesome, and, like, yeah. So, anyway, that's all that is. Yeah, check it out. Yep.
0: A part of that PLM side is updating the bomb in a more detailed way than the public source might be aware of. Mm. And that's a bomb that contains assemblies, sub-assemblies, child items, parent items. Yeah. uh, And it's actually aware of the revision of each thing. Yeah, it's
1: like the full dependency tree of the machine. Yeah, it's,
0: it's what you were... in. What you envision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where the public source is that snapshot release. There isn't like part name dash revision number, but in our PLM system, no, the revision is a flag. Yeah. Where I think about if a part is backwards compatible or forward compatible, mm-hmm. maybe that part's not changing. It's, it's always stated there. Yeah. I have to go and update the bomb of every assembly and sub-assembly for the next revision so that we have an even more detailed ground truth than what GitHub might show.
1: Right. And that, that the GitHub is like GitHub being the source. That's fine. But then like, I almost think about all the Aligny stuff is, you know, if you're compiling software, it's like, what are your compilation flags? How do you compile it? Yeah. And that's the extra level that Aligny gives us. Like, you know, what instructions are you using? The packaging, the box that it goes in. That's not really the source anymore. That's like, how does Opuload handle the source? So Aligny almost is kind of like that shell on top of the original source of like, how do we make the source? You, yeah. Would you say that's fair to say? There's probably more to it than that as well. A
0: liney is our way of interpreting how to make this public source.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, I th- that's a way cleaner way to say that. Because
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the GitHub bomb doesn't know that the drag chain cable ends come packaged in plastic. Yeah, the public source doesn't need to care about that. Yep, it's a distraction. It would make things- you mean as we ship it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the the liney bomb is for as shipped because like the box will have a s- assembly one, two, three, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we just need to contain all that. And it's important that through a change process, um, it's
1: updated accordingly to match the current public source. Right. Yeah. Or we wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, we have to put that into line because when do we know we need to buy more bags that sheath the end of the cable chain? Like yeah. we need to know when we run out, we need to know if you get hit by a bus and someone has to buy the, well, I mean, even you, Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> scratch that. I don't want to talk about <laughs> like, people get hit by a bus. When you, when it comes time to buy more of those bags, where do we buy them? Yeah. What what kind is it? We got to write that down somewhere and aligny kind of fills that gap in. There's an interesting thing
0: here too. You might be like, "Lucian, this all sounds optional." Like, <laughs> you have a list of things to buy yeah. from GitHub, just go buy them. Yeah. You have a list of things to buy and just go buy them. Well, yeah, sure. Mm. But you also have to consider that there is constantly changing components, their revisions change. You have a certain thing in inventory. You need to decide what to buy and when. Yeah. And if you don't keep This PLM system that does purchasing up to date with reality, you might not buy the right thing for the right time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you can put lead times and stuff in and you know how often you run builds for how many machines and what your consumption is, you can literally see, like, it will even tell you, hey, based on your consumption of this part and knowing the lead time of this part, you need to order it in the next four days. Yeah. Like, it will even help you be like, listen up, time to buy the thing. You're going to run out. Like, a a spreadsheet is not going to do that. I mean, it can if you are masochist and you feel like setting that up and updating the cells constantly. But yeah, it's a lot.
0: I won't lie. It can be more annoying and make me like, wish I'd taken an extra programming class in school. (laughs) uh, I think we mentioned earlier that we'd switched the color of the machine a couple times. Well, yeah. Guess what? (laughs) I have to up rev 40 FDM parts to contain a different filament child item. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's cursed. Yeah. And then you have to up rev their assemblies. Mm hmm that contain those FDM parts and then the skew level has to be updated. Right. And it's, it's worth it. Um, And the the only way to do it really the moment you let that drift out of date from relevancy. It's not, it's useless.
1: Tools are only as good as you maintain them to be. Yeah. And like, if we don't make sure that if I can't trust when I check a line, that the information is there is accurate. What's the point of having it? (laughs) We, if we are choose to use a tool, we have to unequivocally treat it like ground truth. It has to be right. Otherwise it's silly we're spending any time using it at all. It just has to, we have to believe it. You know, something that bugs me so much about like organizational inefficiency is when there's some system in place and you know, a noob will be like, Oh look, there's a system here. And they're like, Oh no, that's not accurate. (laughs) Delete it. Like don't, don't have fake things. Like if you have it there, use it. If you're not using it, get rid of it. So it's not confusing. Like every, all information should be true. You shouldn't ever look at information internally and be like, that's not right. <laughs> like that's <laughs> such a bad thing. A bit of a tangent, but like you know, we we have to maintain it, and like it's it's a huge part of that is is cutting a release. It, it takes you like I don't know two days yeah, just because it's such a heady thing of just like yeah, going. If nothing's
0: changing, you're being complicated. Yeah, like a release to me, no matter what it is, is a couple hours. Oh yeah, so, yeah. I don't know if anyone has tips or ideas. Shout them out. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we'd love to make that easier yeah. <laughs> if possible. And I think the export of the source is part of that. And ideally, there's like a flag that we could set that's like export for Aligny, And then we have it poop out all the stuff you need to just auto import into Aligny. Pretty clean cut. But I'm always worried about that. Just press this button and it'll do everything you yeah. need to. Like we need to have some ability of customization to get it to do the release the way we want to.
0: Yeah, this might be too off topic, but it would be so convenient if uh, GitHub and RPLM were one in the same.
1: Oh, it was just one system yeah. and like GitHub tracked the bags we used to put the end of yeah. chains on. Yeah. It would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Or like there's, or it's like a, or it's like a sub repo or something like that. It's Cause like, I don't want people to have to give a crap about all that stuff and sort through this stuff for us, you know? Yeah. But like if we have the Lumen repo and then we have another repo that imports the Lumen repo as like, um, I forget what the name is in Git, but it's like, you just kind of have a reference to another commit in yeah, a repo yeah, yeah. inside a parent repo. We could do it in GitHub, but then we still have to import that into a Liney. Like it all has to be a Liney <laughs> for that to work clean, you know?
0: Yeah. The bigger the org gets, the more easy it is for a release process to get bloated. Yeah. So just be careful of that. Yeah. Yep. I'm I'm happy with how we have it. Mm-hmm. But just we're we're so cognizant of uh how it could get out of hand or become overly complicated. Yeah. Like certain companies will have a PLM admin that's full-time just monitoring engineering change orders for the release process. Yeah. That's like and, the uh, whole job. <laughs> like I'd say we're doing things wrong if we need that. Yeah. Famous last words there. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, Especially at our scale. Yeah. You know, nowhere in sight is that
1: needed? No, no, certainly not. But that's yeah. what we're for and the dev. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely room to make it better. You know, like there's, I, I tweeted a video, of the Lumen running, and someone retweeted it with a comment. Eventually all companies become tooling companies. <laughs> and I thought it was kind of funny. Cause like this company started to be a tooling company. It's like, it's not like we are aggressed to that, you know, like that was always the intention. But I think also it's very, it's hard to not want to build tools, you know, and build abstracted versions of things to make it useful for everybody. And like trying to make mid scale better. Part of that is helping make the release stuff better. Like I want to make autobomb the thing that releases it like a formalized structured thing. And like, you know, integration with inventory and like, pdm kind of stuff you know like tracking and get easier and you know there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you know if it's all integrated in releases become a dream you know you just hit release type the notes it's all inherent and then you know your plm knows what it is out of the gate oh that would be such a dream wouldn't it be nice yeah Yeah, it
0: would be rising tide lifts all boats as we continue to build hardware and software around it yeah and support our friends doing really cool projects yeah yeah cool (laughs) yes all right, guys, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to leave a review. Wherever you get your podcast. it really helps us out a bunch. You can find Opulo on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, don't forget to check out opulo.io and sign up for our newsletter where we write blog posts and do customer interviews with other cool folks building open hardware. That's it, and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, guys. See ya. One day when we're all in Connecticut, we'll go to Ryan's Deli together. I'll show you a a good pickle. (coughs) Don't you clip that. (laughs)